Welcome to the Politics of Fish podcast, the American Sport Fishing Association's bi-weekly podcast covering the people, organizations, and issues that impact the recreational fishing industry. I'm your host, Mike Leonard, Vice President of Government Affairs for ASA. On this episode, my guest is Dave Boltice, President of North America for Pure Fishing, the world's largest fishing tackle company. Dave covers how he found a career in the sport fishing industry, some of the trade and fishing access challenges we're facing, the opportunities ahead with retaining the new anglers that have come into the sport in recent years, and of course, we have to talk some red snapper regulations too. But before we get into that, I have to talk shop a bit. I work on fisheries policy, and I often say that as fun and relaxing and enjoyable as fishing is, the policy and regulatory process that ultimately provides or restricts those fishing opportunities is the exact opposite. It is complicated and contentious and, well, it's not fun, but it is extremely important, and we at ASA try to make it as easy as possible for folks in the industry and throughout the recreational fishing community to get involved when important policy decisions are being made that impact our waterways and your ability to fish. Check out KeepAmericaFishing.org, our angler advocacy website, where you can get up-to-date information on all the latest policy issues and engage with decision makers to make your voice heard. For example, you can go to KeepAmericaFishing.org right now and within a few clicks, send a letter to your U.S. Senators urging them to support the Outdoor Recreation Act, which is a bill that we at ASA have been working on that will improve federal land management and conservation, including at national parks, national forests, and fish and wildlife refuges where, where so much fishing takes place. So go join the community, make your voice heard, and keep America fishing. And now on to the interview. All right, I'm pleased to be joined here by Mr. Dave Boltice, who's the president of North America for Pure Fishing. Uh, while just about everybody in the industry knows Pure Fishing, uh, for those not in the industry who may not be as familiar with the name, you'll, you'll certainly know of their brands, uh, including Shakespeare, Penn, uh, Berkeley, Abu Garcia, many others. Um, so welcome, Dave. You've been at Pure Fishing since uh, 2019. I was, I was going to say you've been in the industry for a, a long time, but I don't want to imply anything about your age. So instead, I'll just say uh, you're an experienced yet uh, youthful veteran of the industry. So how's that? There you go. I did not see Babe Ruth play baseball. I'm not that old, so we're good. Uh, so... Dave, tell us about your, your background. What, uh, what brought you to your current position here as president of Pure Fishing? You know, Mike, in, in a nutshell, it's just uh, I've been in the sporting goods industry or the fishing industry, you know, since high school. I mean, and started off in, you know, summers and then, you know, working part time at a, a big sporting goods store in, in Michigan, uh, worked in a sporting goods store when I went to college at Michigan State, got out of the uh, got out of college, went back. Uh, as a manager for a sporting goods company and end up getting, you know, offered a, a sales representative position. And I've been in the fishing tackle and sporting goods industry, obviously then since high school, right through my career along the way, I, I owned a rep agency. I was a principal in several manufacturers, rep agencies. I worked uh, as director of sales for Cape Fear and Fenor in the late nineties. I spent about 18 years as the, uh, Vice President of Costa Sunglasses, and right when I kind of thought I was going to slow down a little bit, I got a call from Pure Fishing and talked to them about doing some work, and they offered me the presidency. And honestly, it was a, you know a, such a great opportunity. I mean, I guess it's redundant, or you know, somebody say it's like a dream come true, but dream job working with a, a a friend and somebody I greatly admire, our CEO Harlan Kent, and you know, came in here and it's just to work a company with this scale. 
and these great brands has just really been a lot of fun, even though I, like everybody else in the industry, the last you know two to three years have proved really challenging. It's still fun. And I enjoy getting up every morning, going to work. I was going to say the, the idea of slowing down, um, I'm not sure that move aligned with that idea of slowing down, but um, yeah, to your point, one of those opportunities you can't pass up. So I don't, you, you, you mentioned fun and I'm always curious for folks that get into the industry, especially that do as well as, as you've obviously done. I mean, going back to your start, what was it chance? Was it luck? Were you seeking a career in the sport fishing industry? Was it, you, you wanted to make big bucks, I guess. It, how'd you end up getting, where'd the motivation come from to, to pursue first, this career? First, I'll say a reason you don't get in the industry. And that is, if you just want to fish a lot, you don't want to get in the fishing <laughs> tackle industry. Um, but that being said, I guess it was locker convergence. I mean, I actually went to college uh, to be a lawyer uh, and I was working, um, you know, to put myself through school and, you know, uh, had an offer to join a sales rep agency uh, and cover Michigan as a as a young guy and calling on fishing tackle retailers and sporting goods stores selling hunt fish camp gear and I liked it and I seemed to have an aptitude for it and I guess we'll just say that the uh, the desire or the drive to become an a, an a, attorney faded and but the opportunity to be in the industry that I loved was right in front of me. And I took advantage of opportunities and been lucky along the way to work with some incredible uh, companies and some, and meet some incredible mentors. And so it was luck, I guess, and determination, but it certainly uh, turned out well. Yeah. Well, it's uh, something I can certainly attest to too, that um, just because you work in this industry, whether in your side and the, on the actual, the business end of it, or me and the association, you, you spend a lot of time talking about fishing and everyone assumes that's what you do all the time, but um, no, it doesn't often work out that way. But, um, but you, you touched on this a little bit, especially challenges over the last couple of years, I guess, big picture, how are things going at, at Pure Fishing? Uh, just overall outlook of you know, where things stand now, where you see them going in the near future. You know, I, you know, we've had a, we just closed our fiscal year for 2021. We had a, a great year, uh, grew the business over 2020. Uh, we've had a three, you know, three solid consecutive years of growth in 19, 20, and 21. So our business is great. It's super complicated. I, I don't think that there's anybody who you're going to talk to who's, you know, sourcing products and manufacturing products and dealing with supply chain issues. Who doesn't say it's certainly uh, complicated, but the growth in fishing and the and boating and the number of new anglers we've added and the opportunity to go out and tell your stories to a new and a larger audience are exciting. And we're taking advantage of that. And our, our business is great. We're bullish about 2022. We hope that we resolve some of our supply chain issues. And I think we're all looking forward. I think the industry collectively is looking forward to seeing what is the new normal? What's the new participation levels? If 2019 is the last non-COVID year and you call that a normal year as a baseline, what's when we get to whatever the new normal is, what's that look like? I think it's gonna be fun. Things could be, we're able to engage new anglers. And the, I've never, in my career, I've never seen so much interest in fishing. And uh, so I, I think it's an it's exciting time for the industry and 
at, at Pure Fishing, we're super excited. We're at work on developing new products. We're getting ready for ICAST. We're getting ready to go to consumer shows. I mean, it's 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 fun to be us, and we're looking forward to the challenges and the opportunities in front of us. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Whenever I talk to anyone in the industry, that's something I, I get is uh, I ask how are things are going, and they say, oh, sales are great. And then they spend the next five or 10 minutes complaining about all the things that are going wrong. But <laughs> keeping that perspective of, you know, the demand is, is so strong out there, and uh, we sure hope and plan for it to continue. And uh, hopefully there's things that all of us within the industry, within the community can be doing to, um, to keep retain these anglers that we've, we've found, found draw to the sport. And, you know, I think there's a few ways to look at it. Um, yeah. Whatever this new normal ends up looking like, but um, not just the growing demand for fishing that we've seen, but seeing so many people make these investments in outdoor recreation as a whole, not only where they're, they're moving to, but, people buying boats and RVs and, you know, these, these much greater investments that you would anticipate mean these people are going to be sticking with it long-term, but um, not something I think we can take for granted. And it's going to be incumbent upon all of us to make sure that um, this trajectory continues. And yes, to your point, hopefully some of those supply issues start leveling out to where a lot of the pulling your hair out um, starts fading away and, uh, we, we can collectively feel a little bit more confident about being able to, to meet all that demand. At least, at least that's the hope, right? I think, I, I think it's, it's an opportunity and I, I'm super encouraged that, you know, for years we've, you know, you and I've sat in meetings together where we hear people, you know, really drone on about, Oh, you know, we've lost the kids to video games and, you know, social media and everybody's inside in front of their 70 inch flat screen streaming Netflix. And they're still doing all that. But you know what? People got outside in the pandemic and families reconnected. And, you know, is and, you know, as difficult and challenging in many cases, um, really not great. Uh, I know you with young children, I mean, having, you know, homeschooling or virtual schooling is super difficult. And but a uh, a positive out of that has been families reconnecting and saying, Hey, we got to get out of the house. And people went out and they discovered hiking and they discovered boating and fishing and activities that they could do and do together. So I, I do think that, you know, fishing and outdoor recreation, you know, benefited uh, from some of the COVID and, you know, challenges and, you know, people discovered there is a great big world out there and it's beautiful and they need to get out and recreate. And I hope we can continue to help them get outside and, and recreate and, and keep, you know, keep that enthusiasm, enthusiasm level up and keep people engaged, you know, and outside and recreating and fishing, boating, camping, hiking. It's, it's good for America. It's good for business. It's just, and it's fun. It's, just, it's fun. Yeah. Well, and being able to facilitate people getting outdoors and having healthy fisheries to go pursue and having boat ramps they can launch their boat out of and trails they can access. That brings us to the less fun side of, uh, of the fisheries community, which is all the, the policy and regulatory work that we do. And, and Dave, one of the things I've always admired about you is um, you've had a, a longstanding involvement in policy issues. And you know, there's a lot of folks who know it's important but you know it's important and you also get involved. So talk about where that comes from. Uh, and I'm curious if you had like a, 
a moment where you saw the impact of, of policy issues impacting the sport? Or for you, was it just sort of a, a gradual thing that you just you know, got involved with ASA, you got involved in the industry and therefore got more involved in the policy world too? I, it's, that's a, a kind of a two-part answer from a personal level. What made me want to get involved, obviously, is living in Florida and seeing some of the dr draconian regulations that were put on recreational anglers relative to season closures and really sh you know, shortened windows to fish for a red snapper or black grouper, gag grouper, et cetera. And, you know, saying as an, as an angler saying, you know, hey, this is crazy. I mean, I'm out here on my boat and I'm throwing red snapper back. Uh, because I can't keep them and I'm being told that there aren't any to catch. And so that kind of motivated me, per, motivated me personally, but also, you know, really, I, I, I admired Gary Zern greatly who passed this year. And Gary Zern was the, was the, was the chairman of the government affairs uh, committee for ASA. And you know him very well. And Gary kind of got me interested and steered me into the saltwater government affairs community as, as, as did uh, Bill Shedd, and I had the opportunity to participate and become uh, a member of the Center for Sport Fishing Policy and several other organizations. So it was gradual, but I've always felt that access uh, is a super important issue for Americans for recreation. And, it, and I think that the it's not just it's access to fisheries, it's access to boat ramps. It's for these new anglers. Can we create more opportunities? for shore fishing and pure fishing. And, you know, it's, it's, if it's not a, if, to me, it's, it's, it's an unspoken right to have access to great outdoor recreational opportunities. And I've been fortunate to work for companies, both uh, at, here at Pure Fishing and previously to that at Coastal Sunglasses, who encouraged my involvement and supported it. So that's super, been very helpful that they permitted me the time and opportunity to participate in government affairs and work on some of the access issues that are important to me personally. We mentioned um, Bill Shedd, Gary Zern, two folks in the industry that um, were in a position that you're now in, uh, which was chairman of our government affairs committee, ASA. You're also on our board of directors. Um, you know, you talked about access, you know, as a general issue that really affects uh, anglers throughout the country in different ways. Um, you know, there's also a lot of conservation issues going on out there. We mentioned some of the the trade challenges, tax issues. Um, do you have any, I don't know, specific issues that are particularly acute or on your radar um, that uh, you see as having a, either a potential or currently having a major impact on the industry um, that you'd want to highlight? You know, from a business standpoint, I think that at Pure Fishing, you know, we're in a position with, with you know, other, you know, real manufacturers about having increased tariffs over the last couple of years on fishing reels, which certainly uh, coupled with, you know, significant raw materials shortages and price increases, you know, are driving prices up. And I think it's, you know, it's fine to a point, but we want to make sure that we can continue to, to offer value and great quality at affordable prices to these new anglers as they enter the sport. So I do think always that tariffs and taxes are going to be, from a manufacturer, uh, something to be considered. Um, I've just expanded the 
definition of access, though, is something that's a threat to the industry in total. And that is just now with all this new participation, which you know we're all so grateful for. I think, first of all, it's, it's, an, it's an industry opportunity for us to work collectively, not just peer fishing or not just amber competitors, but together through ASA or together as a group to reach out and engage and retain these new anglers. I think that's a great challenge for the industry. And I think access now, as I said previously, is more than just, you know, um, you know, clean water and fish seasons. It's also, you know, ramps and parking and in cities, can we create more, you know, opportunities for in metro areas for people to get on the water? Uh, you know, I lived in Chicago for 10 years. There's a tremendous lakefront there. We've got an opportunity to work in cities to create more recreational fishing opportunities that don't require boats. So I think that in general access has become, is still the most critical issue. I think it affects all manufacturers. And I think it's, the, it's one of the things we have to focus upon to retain these new anglers as well. Yeah, well, uh, agreed. And it's a, it's a big challenge. It's going to take a bunch of forms. And uh, as we've touched on I, I will here, interject that, Mike, I got to say that just selfishly speaking, it, it, you know, something's just personal to me, but it's also very important to the state of Florida and the entire East Coast is we've got to find a way to work with the South Atlantic Marine Fisheries Council to get more than a three-day season for Atlantic red snapper. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's such an important fishery to the retailers, to the manufacturers, and more importantly, to the fishing community that we've just got to find a way to get around the table and figure out how to put a more reasonable solution in place that addresses the needs of conservation, sustainability, and increased angling opportunities. And I look to see what we've accomplished in the Gulf with red snapper. And I hope that over the next couple of years, we can, we can all work together to achieve something similarly for the South Atlantic. Well, I'm glad you did interject because I was going to make a comment that uh, I can't believe we would have had a discussion and not delve into red snapper. So thanks for, for beating me to the punch there um, and agreed. It's uh, <laughs> to have a, a three day season <laughs> when you're, you're throwing back more red snapper than you're allowed to harvest. It, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. And when you've got, you know, you're, you're feeding the sharks with all those fish that you're throwing back as opposed to being able to keep them. The science is, is um, we, we need to focus on that, but we also need to focus on the need to get reasonable access. Um, and yeah, hopefully through the Gulf of Mexico uh, red snapper issue where we've allowed more state control over the fishery and more state science to be uh, plugged in, that um, there's a model there that the South Atlantic states can follow and get some, some reasonable regulations in place because we keep petering along with these, you know, three to four day seasons that just... Um, there's way more fish out there to be able to sustain pressure than that. But yeah, from red snapper to China tariffs, which is another one that we continue to see coming along. There's actually a, a bill I, that just came across my desk yesterday introducing the house to, um, to revert the China tariffs back to the, the pre uh, increases we saw under the last administration. So there are some glimmers of hope out there, whether uh, we're talking red snapper or Everlades restoration or, uh, boating access or even tariffs, but uh, plenty of uh, work ahead for us to do. So, um, but appreciate your time and your insights as always, Dave, you've got a great perspective on these things and uh, look forward to continue and uh, to work with you and uh, the guidance and leadership you provide, not just for us at ASA, but really throughout the industry. And um, 
we'll, we'll look to make progress on these and many more issues and uh, keep all these folks fishing uh, well into the future. So thanks so much, Dave, for your time. Look forward to, to chatting again soon. Sure. Thanks very much, Mike. Enjoyed being with you. Thanks again to Dave for taking the time to share his insights with us. We'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode, but in the meantime, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share the Politics of Fish podcast with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks for listening, and tight lines.